Hey guys, and welcome to Fika with Rice, a podcast about life hacks, inspirational life stories, routines, and keys to success. I'm your host, Frederick Van Hoon, and each week I meet some of the most incredible people in the world from self made millionaires, best selling authors, experts, and world class athletes. My goal is to extract their wisdom, mindset, tools so you can use them in your daily life, but above all, to inspire you. Let's get this Fika started. Welcome to episode 6 by Fika with Rice. This is a special episode where we meet David Allen, the godfather of productivity and the New York Times bestselling author who has sold over 1.5 million books around the world. David is the inventor of the Getting Things Done system which allows you to stay organized, on top of your things and feel less stressful. A system used by champions such as Will Smith and Robert Downey Jr. Let's get this conversation started. Let's go. Hello, David. Welcome to Fika with Rice. I'm really grateful uh, to have you here on the show. Um, to be honest, you literally changed my life. I read your book back in 2013 and it changed the way I viewed my work and life. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, you're quite welcome. And thanks for the invitation. Delighted to be here. Thank you, David. Um, for you out there who doesn't know David, David Allen is the godfather of productivity. Uh, David Allen is the author of Getting Things Done, which is the Bible of productivity, which has sold over one and a half million copies of, of his really simple yet effective productivity system. He's also a black belt in karate, which I love. Uh, all right, uh, David, I thought to start by asking you, what did karate and martial arts teach you about discipline growing up? Tell me a lot about focus the necessity to focus. I mean, a lot of what the power in karate is, is your ability to focus. And it also taught me that uh, you have to, in order to, you know, the, the, the power in a karate punch doesn't come from muscle, it comes from speed. But a tense muscle is a slow one. So learning to relax so that you could then really focus at the end of a punch is really critical. So those two elements, you know, sort of, relaxing so that you can be powerful uh you know winds up i didn't know it then but now in retrospect i can look back and say you know that was uh, a really good not just a metaphor it's a real example of now what the cognitive scientists have come up with called if you want to really think smart really have optimal cognitive ability you better relax your brain had better have rest time you better you know uh, step back and daydream and you know, give yourself the freedom to be spontaneous. But that's hard to do if you're not managing your life really well. So, you know, a lot of sort of the impetus for me to, to, to unfold and uncover and identify the best practices for productivity, a whole lot of that was my desire to how do I stay clear and free as my life got more complex. And so I just discovered piece by piece, you know, elements of this methodology that then finally after 20 years, I put them in a book <laughs> called Getting Things Done. That's, was, a, that's, a, that's a short version of a very long story, Frederick, as you probably can imagine. So. Yes, no, no, that's, that's amazing. How long have you been training martial arts now? I know that from my homework, it's already from the 60s, so during Bruce, Bruce Lee's time. Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't really trained in years. I mean, I haven't, I haven't really worked out in years. But it's kind of like learning to ride a bicycle. Once you get to at least black belt level in karate, there's stuff you just never forget that, that you can still do. But I haven't really trained in a long time. You know, I, I, it took about four or five years for me to get a black belt you know, in, the, in the 60s, when, in my 20s. Uh, then. And there are a couple of other times I got back in shape and was teaching kids and, you know, karate and so forth. But other than that, I haven't really trained you know, in the martial arts for, for many years. How was it to grow up during the 60s in California when Bruce Lee was, uh, <laughs> was like the goat, basically? Actually, I have a Bruce Lee t-shirt on me today here. My God, look at that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, that was back in the early days when karate was still fairly new in the U.S. And it turned okay. out that my, my sensei was a, turned out to be a good friend of mine. He had studied uh, Chinese, Korean, and Japanese uh, in, in karate, did those different styles. Uh, and so he had sort of created this American blend. And the Americans were pretty good at blending stuff, you know, instead of staying you know, in one particular style or the other. They just took the best of the best. And of course, Bruce Lee was the, the ultimate of that. 
He just took the best of the best. His whole thing was how effective can you be? How powerful can you be with as little effort as possible? And that was his whole thing. And that's where Jeet Kune Do, which was the, you know, the, the, the style that kind of came out of his thinking, you know, was there. But that was, that was uh, you know, pretty much brand new at that time in the 60s. Uh, and, you know, people were sort of enthralled by that. Not many people really knew about it, not, certainly not like today. Uh, so that, that's a little bit of the history of my history anyway. Yes. Um, I mean, you're above 70 now, David. Um, 75, exactly. Yes. I was going to be humble there and polite, but okay. Thank you. Hey, what uh, the heck? I, I, I'm really glad to get older. I was so stupid last year. You know, every year I'm smarter. So, uh, anyway. I love that mindset. I love that mindset. That's a white belt mindset. I like to call it, you know, <laughs> of course, but well, let's say that you could go back in time and meet your 20 year old years, your 20 year old David. What would, what would the 75 year old tell him? Relax. Ah, that it's okay. And start following, you know, follow more what your own internal hunches tell you to do and what you really want to do. And as opposed to trying to do what you think other people want you to do. Um, you know, I, it, it's kind of hard when I look back and say, is there anything I would do different? Of course not. You know, I have a great life right now and, and a fabulous career and it took a long while to get there and I paid my dues, but there's nothing I would change about that. So, uh, I would just say the only thing that, that I probably didn't do back then as well as I could have was relax and pay more attention to what my own internal, uh, direction might be as opposed to trying to be good to everybody or do whatever, what I thought, what I thought was right. I, um, uh, we're working with a lot of young people and uh, a lot of them have, they're stressed, you know, and they're, they have a lot of anxiety. They don't know what they're going to do. They've invested a lot in their education, uh, you know, primarily in the U S and the UK, right. But it's so well, just take them out on, just take them out on a ship and throw them over the water, over the over, overboard. And that, that those won't be issues anymore. So it's the stress of opp opportunity really. Yeah. And there's so many choices that, that people could make now because they have the freedom to do that. But all you have to do is throw yourself into a crisis situation and all those go away. That's why a lot of people in crisis actually get into the zone. They get more into the zone because it, it, it simplifies your life. They'll survive. Right. It's true. And so your taxes and new tires on your car and hiring the vice president and fixing the tooth that hurts just go out the window if you're thrown overboard and have to survive. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be, you know, too simplistic about this, but that's, you know, the, the high stress out there is usually because people just have a lot of opportunities and, you know, depending on their situation, whether they feel like they need to be more competitive or they need to do better or whatever, you know, they, they may have you know, a lot of things that are causing that. And I understand now, given the pandemic and COVID and coronavirus that's going on, People have had to change a lot of their lifestyle and their work style. And those changes have forced people to throw themselves kind of overboard. <laughs> and now, how do I now engage with the, the, the changes that have happened? But again, that's why, you know, I go back to my martial arts training. You know, a whole lot of that was being ready for surprise. So, you know, if four people jump you in a dark alley, you don't want 2,000 unprocessed emails somehow hanging around your head. You know, you need to have, you need to be clear. So the whole idea of being clear, so you're ready for surprise and you're ready for change is a lot of what people need to, you know, probably more incorporate into their life and their work style so that they're ready for surprise. That's why when I'm not doing anything else, Frederick, I'm cleaning up my in-basket to zero because I got stuff coming toward me I can't see. And when that happens, I don't want any backlog or as little backlog as possible in terms of stuff I haven't decided about or made decisions about or haven't you know appropriately engaged with you know in getting in the way of my ability to make good conscious choices and spontaneous choices in the moment i like that i um i resonate a lot with that i um i train martial arts i started two years ago i trained brazilian jiu-jitsu and uh, of course as an entrepreneur i deal with a lot of stress uh email inboxes employees team members that need things customers and so on but I love the simplicity because when you have a um, 80, 100 kilo man on your back trying to choke you, there's only one thing in my mind. It's survival, you know, 
and it simplifies things. And um, I see a red thread on how how martial arts you can like you can take that into life and your workplace, and you can make it so much easier. Um, a lot of your thinking process. Um, you said that you, you clean your desk when you're not doing anything. I love that. I through my homework before this chat, I um, correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes what you read on the internet is incorrect. But you're a big fan of Japan, of Japan and Japanese things and being simplistic. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how that affects a little bit of your productivity? I, I'm not sure exactly how it all came together, but I was very fascinated by the sort of the aesthetic, the Japanese aesthetic. From an early time, I, I, you know, when I was in high school, I read all of Suzuki and, and Alan Watts and, and so forth. And, 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 you know, the whole idea of the, the Zen simplicity of life and sort of uh, the elegance of that simplicity and empty space, you know, was something I always resonated with. Uh, it just seemed to make a lot of sense to me. And, it, and I just enjoyed, I enjoyed the aesthetic. So, uh, you know, it's it, it's sort of the. It's easy to be complex. It's hard to be simple. And so, you know, simplifying your life is a, is quite a craft to be able to do that. And that doesn't mean that you have to be ascetic and go, you know, go live in a cave and eat out of a rice bowl and you know so forth. I mean, that's okay too. Uh, but to be able to simplify your life when there's so much complexity around you, and so many opportunities to add complexity to your life, it is a martial art. I love that. You know, it's true. You know, I think it's really hard for people today, right, David? Like, how do you simplify your life when you have so many clothing shops out there? You have so many phone options. You have social media out there. You have a external pressure, um, anxiety, and you have so many choices today, right? I'm sure like 2021 versus 1960, we're living in a different world. I don't know. Would you say it's, it's, more difficult to grow up and live in today's society versus 20, 30, 40 years ago? I don't know. I don't know. You know, come on. I wasted time two hours on the telephone with my girlfriend when I was 14. You know, so there's, I don't think, <laughs> there's nothing new about that. You know, so all kinds of people can waste time doing all kinds of things or what you call waste time. But I was in love at age 14 and and hanging out with her on the telephone was just one of the coolest things to do. So, you know, there's nothing new in terms of human nature, I think, about what are the things that attract us and whether that's on course or off course for us. I think those are life issues that, that we constantly deal with. I don't, I don't think there's nothing. I don't think there's anything new about that. I think what's new is how frequently things are new. You know, as you and I are talking right now, Frederick, there's stuff landing in our end baskets that totally blow the hell out of what you think your priorities are for the afternoon. It's true. Right. It is true. Right. right. That, that wasn't true 30 years ago or 40 years ago. I mean, it was true that, yeah, you could get a phone call or something could happen, but it wasn't that often. I mean, how many times did your parents had to reconfigure their lives in terms of, you know, what they were doing and how they were, you know, and, and, and have to rethink and recalibrate and refocus given the changes went on with them? You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing most people, maybe their parents two, three, four times in their lives had to totally rethink what they were doing, if, if at all. And now it's weekly. <laughs> you got to rethink your life, you know, really fast. And so nothing new except how frequently the things are new and therefore the requirement to then stay on top of the changed world, the changing world. See, at some point things change and then you put it under, and then you're out of, out of your comfort zone and then you sort of get comfortable about the new job or the new thing or the new gig and pretty soon you get onto cruise control. Pretty soon it gets to it into a rhythm. And so you're not so disturbed or distracted by that. So if that only happens every three or four or five years, you know, that's one thing. If that happens every three or four or five months, that's another. So that's what's different is how the frequency of change. David, you said, you mentioned Zen Buddhism. I wanted to bring it up. I'm happy that you brought it up. Um, you're 75 now. What has Zen Buddhism taught you about, about life? I don't know. See, I never really studied Zen as a, as a disciplined, you know, study. You know, I never went and sat Zazen, you know, for hours and hours and, you know, and, and, and did all that. I've certainly read about a lot of that stuff. So I'm kind of a lazy man, Zen, you know, practitioner, you know, uh, but, you know, there was a great classic book, Zen and the Art of In-Basket Maintenance, or Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, you know, which was a great, 
by the way, we thought we were going to actually title the, the book Getting Things Done, The Zen and the Art of In-Basket Maintenance. Sort of the same, the same sort of idea. But the simple, you know, the simple sort of perceptions of Zen Buddhism. And also, you know, I very much resonate with the esoteric Sufis, you know, Rumi and, and other people like that, who essentially, it's kind of what I so love is the sort of, um, how would I say this? The, 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 um, the sacred irreverence. It's called nothing. You know, don't take anything too seriously. And it's all there. It's all in everything. It's all in the ordinariness of life. You don't have to go further than where you are, you know, to relax and sort of let the truth emerge. Because, you know, and a lot of, I, you know, I think that's just a lot of what I've discovered in my 75 years is a lot of it is more about unfolding as opposed to adding into. It's more about you know, finding out who you really are, finding out what's really true or finding out what's the essence of something. You know, to me, that's, you know, that's just an elegant, you know, aesthetic or an elegant approach to stuff. And these days, people certainly don't need more to do. <laughs> Everybody's already up to here. It's you know, true. Stuff to do. What they need to do is to figure out how do I simplify my engagement, essentially, or uh, get more elegant with my engagement. See, here's a big secret, Frederick, and don't tell anybody this. Okay, this is very, only between you and me, right? Okay. The, getting, getting things done is not so much about getting more done. It's about creating appropriate engagement with all your commitments with yourself and anybody else so that you're fully present with whatever you're doing. An appropriate engagement, you know, so that something's not on your mind. Usually, you know, and probably people listening, what we've been talking for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, and most people listening or watching this have probably had their mind go somewhere else other than what you and I've been talking about. Yes. Right. And so that with a, I don't care, but they might, in other words, they lost their focus or their attention on what you and I were talking about and went somewhere else. The somewhere else is what I'm talking about. Why did they go somewhere else? Usually what has people's attention is something they're not yet appropriately engaged with some situation, some circumstance, some input, something they're deep that, that, they know they still need to decide or do something about or with. They just haven't decided that yet. And even if they have, they haven't parked some reminder in some place they trust they'll see at the right time. And so that's why it's still got people's attention. But if you don't pay appropriate attention to what has your attention, it'll take more of your attention than it deserves. So that's one of the problems. That's one of the, the things that I've solved over all these years is how do I get stuff off my mind without having to finish it? And it's not free. You don't get there by drinking or meditating or, you know, Zazen. <laughs> I don't care how much Zazen you do. If you still need cat food, cat food pops into your mind, you start going to have that deal with that, you know, at some point. And the mindfulness people these days, you know, focus on your breathing. Sure, all that's really good stuff. You know, but I learned that 40 years ago in the martial arts. Um, but yeah, that's all good stuff. But not dealing appropriately with the things that you have allowed yourself to be engaged with in your life. That's where a lot of the stress is coming from. So yeah. How do, how do I engage? How, how do I deal with the stuff that's got my attention? How do the, how do I deal with the stuff that's on my mind? And the, you know, here's the big problem, Frederick, as you probably know by now, your head is just a really crappy office. And most people are still trying to use their head as a way to remember, remind, prioritize, and manage relationships between all their commitments. And it sucks as an office. It, you did not evolve. Your brain did not evolve to remember, remind, prioritize, or manage relationships between more than four things. That's now proven cognitive science. Four things. As soon as you have more than four things you're trying to keep track of, remind yourself about, or, or be engaged in appropriately, you're going to sub-optimize your cognitive ability. You won't be able to take a test as well. You won't be able to think as well. You won't be able to cook spaghetti as well. You won't be able to you know, be present with your kids or your life partner like you'd like to because that stuff is going to be spinning. So I just figured out how do I stop the spin? And you can't stop life giving you stuff to spin about. You wouldn't want to, you know, because, you know, you know, come up cool stuff showing up, new things, you have new visions, new goals, things you want to do, things you want to accomplish. But as you start to commit to those, then you need to then appropriately engage with those commitments. And that's what people haven't done for the most part. That's where a lot of the stress is coming from. Yes. 
I resonate a lot with that. Um, you were talking about unfolding yourself as well, not to add complexity, but actually looking at your own plate of food and like, all right, what can I actually do in the most effective way? Um, I think it's a very good reminder. Um, I know in your book, you, you talk about mastering the small things instead of going for the big one goal. And what does that mean? Well, the big one goal always comes down to a small thing to do about it, right? You can't, you can't, you can't actually do a project. You can't actually do a goal. You can only do actions, but if you do enough of the right action, then you produce the result. The, the project is finished. The goal has been accomplished, et cetera. So you can't actually do any of those things. Those things give you direction. They don't give you instruction about how you start to move toward it. So, you know, the, there's, you know, first of all, why are you doing this thing? How important is that goal to you? How important is that outcome? And that's where, you know, I, I describe the different horizons. We have commitments, you know, the different, the six horizons you have, you know, at the top called what's your purpose in life? What are your core values? You know, you come down from that a next level of operationally. You say, well, what's the vision of your life five years from now? What do you want to be doing? You know, while success would look, sound like, feel like what? And then by the way, then come down another level and then what are the things you need to accomplish over the next three to 24 months that are going to get you to your vision about what you're doing? That's another horizon of commitment. But then you come down to what are all the things you need to maintain so you can even move that way, your health, your vitality, your relationships, your finances. You need to manage all of those and make sure that they're up to snuff. And then you have all the projects, all the things that you can't finish in one sitting that you need to do about any of those things. Hire the vice president, fix the tooth that hurts decide whether to adopt or not, you know, I mean, come on, those are all, those are the projects that people have about all those open loops or all those things that are moving parts, you know, what I just mentioned. But then you have all the actions you need to take about those. And most people, you know, at least professionally have somewhere between 30 and 100 projects. And most of those people have somewhere between 100 and 200 next actions they would, they need or should take on any of those to appropriately engage with them. Emails to send, calls to make, you know, websites to surf, uh, stuff to talk to your partners about, all that. So I, I couldn't get it any simpler than what I just said. I mean, those are all the things that are true for everybody. You just need to, hey, it's a, it's a game you need to be playing out there. And, you know, then threading yourself through and navigating through all that complexity is a martial art. Back to that point. Why do you think most people, um, David, fail to follow their planning and their system? in order to stay organized and stay productive and stay efficient in their work and life as well. You know, the martial art, what you call it. I don't know. I, you know, I, I, one way to think about that is most people's, their resistance to implementing, you know, what I came up with is their addiction to stress, their willingness to tolerate that ambient anxiety that shows up if you haven't managed these things really well, they're willing to tolerate it doesn't mean they need to go shoot up stress. You know, it's not like that kind of addiction, but it's the willingness to tolerate that. I can't tolerate. If I make a commitment with you, Frederick, believe me, I have pen and paper right here. I'm going to write that down immediately because I can't stand stuff spinning around in my head. It's just not, not the place to do that. Right? So I've just changed my habits about being able to externalize all my commitments or potential commitments so that my head's clear to be making good conscious decisions about it. But Though that's a simple thing to understand and a simple thing to do, actually, most people are not willing to do that because they're they're willing to tolerate the spin that gets created by keeping these commitments inside their head. And when you do that, see your head, that that part of your head that's hanging onto that has no sense of past or future. So it thinks you should be doing all those psychologically all the time. That's why you're so stressed out. That's why you're waked up at three o'clock in the morning about stuff you can't just spit about. You can't buy cat food at three o'clock in the morning. You can't hire a vice president at three o'clock in the morning. Why is that still on your mind? Because you haven't, you haven't decided what those things mean to you and haven't organized reminders with yourself or the right people to, to make sure that they're reminded of those things at the right time in the right place. And in a sense, that's all it is. So, you know, I've just, you know, I, I just got addicted to a clear head. You know, and so anything that, that then spins around in there, called, what do I need to do to get that off my mind? And that would be the, the, the driving question I would have for anybody listening or watching this. I say, what do you need to do to get those things off your mind where your mind has gone while you've been listening to me and Frederick? 
I, I love that you showed your notebook. Is that something that you carry with you all the time, David? Well, no, this is this is this, this one's just on my desk because, you know, who knows? You know, I've, I've written three notes already. My wife came in and said, gee, David, blah, 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 blah. I just wrote it down. Right? What you just said, because I couldn't do it right then. What I carry around with me is a little notepad and a little pen you know, huh? with my credit cards and. I love that one. Yeah, that one is whatever. really practical. Oh, yeah. Well, that's with me. Because most of your good ideas don't happen where you're going to implement those ideas. They happen while you're in some strange places and context. So you, the muse is quite fickle. She will show up and give you a good idea, and then she goes away. And you, you think you, you'll never forget that idea. And then two minutes later, when the next idea pops into your head, you forgot you forgot the first thing. Right. So if you want to be really efficient and effective in terms of creative, inspirational thinking, you better have a capture tool with you all the time. Something that you can grab those things. I throw away 80% of those things because I don't know which ones are good and which ones aren't. You know, I will later on when I sit down and more in, in executive thinking mode, then I can decide, Poof, that's a dumb idea. Or, oh, oh, that reminds me, you know, I ought to. So there's a, you know, that's why, you know, I identified the five steps of how you get sort of in control of your life and work is that's you capture the stuff that has your attention that, that, that you might need to decide or do something about. You need to get that out of your head. And then sooner than later, you need to clarify what those things mean, what you're going to do about them, if anything. Then you need to organize, have some organization system, some sort of list manager that can keep track of the errands you need to run, stuff you need to talk to your partner about websites you need to surf or whatever if you can't finish them the moment you think of them and then you have some sort of a reflection or review process that steps back and looks at all the commitments at all those different levels so that then step five you engage your your attention and your activity in some trusted way as opposed to gee i hope this is what i need to do you need to take a look at the whole all the things you could be doing or should be doing and say no this is what i'm doing not those right now and that's that's really all this is about is like just getting yourself to be present with whatever it is you're doing and not be distracted. But you can't do that unless you're really, you know, take the, have the, I say discipline, but it's really more direction than discipline. Discipline sounds hard work and sweat, you know, come on. You just need to direct yourself to think about the right things in the right way. And then, you know, direct where you then organize or, 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 or park the results of that thinking. Um, this system, the five step, um, that is also in, in your book, David, um, you've, you've used this with a lot of successful people out there, like thousands of ultra successful people and productive people in the world, anywhere from like corporate CEOs, CFOs, I'm sure politicians as well, uh, sports people, astronauts. What's the one thing they have in common that makes them so productive, you would say? Mm -hmm. Well, it depends on what you mean by productive. I mean, productive, most people think about productivity as, as, as I can produce a lot of money or produce a, a business or I produce this thing. But productivity really just means achieving whatever it is that you're after. You know, if you, if you take a vacation to relax and you don't relax, that's an unproductive vacation. So productivity just means what are you after? And that could be an experience or an internal experience or a feeling that you want to have. I want to be, I want to relax tonight. And if you relax tonight, you're being productive. You're moving towards something that you want to do. So I understand what you say. There are a lot of people, as actually a lot of people most attracted to my work happen to be, you know, some of the people that need it the least because they're already aspirational and positively focused and, you know, moving forward or whatever. And a lot of those people just have, you know, built in their, their ability to be able to then follow some sort of vision or some sort of thing they want to be able to accomplish that's not true yet. So they have that aspirational quality. You know, the, you know about about getting there or being able to do that, and they bought into some vision of themselves or some some sort of an outcome that they're that they're after, and you know they follow along with that. And a lot of those folks tend to stress themselves out a lot because oftentimes their vision, you know, has them run past their ability to keep up with it. So a lot of them, you know, have sort of thrown themselves and created goals out further than their systems and their own personal behaviors can keep up with. So they stress themselves out by sort of overwhelming themselves with that. And they know, they already know the value of system. That's what got them there to begin with. They already know the value of good decision-making. They know the value of organization. They just have gone past, you know, they need to improve all that to be able to then give them more room. Because you don't need time, you just need room. 
you don't need time to have a good idea. You don't need time to be creative. You don't need time to be present. You just need room in your head. So you just have to, all you have to do is identify what's on your mind, what's in your head, and then how do you get it out of your head? And how do you then organize that appropriately? That'll give you a lot more room. How you use that room will be up to you. Some of them, some people use it to be more creative. Some people use it to be more strategic. Some people use it just to be more present with their kids. Who are, um, I, I like what you're saying about that your personal vision must be aligned with your system or your planning that you have. And um, I, I like that a lot because I feel a lot of people have a vision, but they don't have the foundation and the personal system that makes them achieve their vision. Well, interestingly, the, you know, the, the zeros and ones, if you wanted to reduce productivity down, it's outcome and action. What is the outcome? What am I trying to produce? What am I trying to get to? And then how do I allocate or reallocate my resources and my attention to move toward that, to move the needle, you know, toward that outcome? And outcome and action actually require two different parts of your psyche. The outcome part is the visionary part. That's the forebrain part that has goals. Here's what I want to do. Here's my vision. And then the limbic part, the other part is the execution part that says, what do I need to do now? You know, I need to write something. I need to, I need to type something. I need to, you know, whatever you need to do, the doing execution part. But those, they're equally important. The vision without action is just, you know, fluff. Action without vision is just drudgery. So, you know, the whole, the hope of the world is that you have a vision, but then can execute on that vision. On a day to day, on a on a on a on a mundane level, that's the magic of the mundane. See, every mundane thing you're doing actually is coming from some other big reason. You know, I need cat food. Why? I have a cat. Why do you have a cat? Well, I love kitten. I love to have a cat. You know. Well, and why? Do, what do you love about having a cat? Well, you know, it kind of opens my heart when I walk in and they they come up and sit on my lap. Yay! Why do you like that? Well, you know, when I feel sort of loving and more engaged with, you know, in a positive way with this wonderful little kitten, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm easier to live with. And why is that important to you? Well, you know, if I'm easier to live with, things work a lot better and I can move, you know, yada, yada, yada. So there's the five whys, you know, it's all good old consulting stuff. Just take everything and say, why are you doing that? And well, why are you doing that? Well, and then why are you doing that? Why is that important? So you can back even the most mundane things up in your life and you'd find out, well, well, there's a reason I'm actually doing that that comes from some higher horizon in terms of your commitments or your standards or your values. David, for, for those that, uh, I mean, can you name some of the famous people that, that are big fans of the GT, GTD system? Well, I mean, there you help a lot thousands of, of people. Yeah, there are a lot of them. You know, the ones who've been public about it would be like Will Smith or, or, or Robert Downey Jr. or, you know, Howard Stern. You know, these are people who've publicly said, "Hey, you need to you need to rock David Allen." You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna do, and these guys are managing not only their entertainment careers, but they all have businesses as well. They're all busy folks. So those are some, you know, and you know, I I, I coached the work with the head of the World Bank. Uh, I are mm, so a lot of folks. Some heavyweights, huh? Will Smith and. Uh... And you said, um, let me see, you said Howard Stern as well. I mean, these are really, really heavyweights out there. So amazing. Yeah. You must be really proud. It's, well, it's wonderful. I've been graced to have uncovered something that, that doesn't hurt anybody and anybody who uses it, you know, could improve their condition. And it also kind of fooled me, Frederick, in, in the early days. I thought, well, the more sophisticated people are, the less they'd be interested in this because they'd already done this. Like, no. <laughs> Turns out that the more sophisticated people were and the busier and more successful they were, the more they hungered for what I'd come up with. Anyway. Yeah, I, I mean, from the outside, I mean, I don't know Howard Stern or, or Will Smith uh, personally, uh, but I mean, from the outside, they seem very, very effective people and productive and like in their zone, sure. so to speak, sure. in control yeah. of their lives, you know? Sure. Well, managing the flow of, you know, as I say, managing the flow of life's work and your commitments is a, is a, how good can you get at cooking spaghetti? How good can you get at being a parent? How good could you get at playing the flute? How good could you get at karate? There's no end to any of those. They're sort of ongoing things you always can have refine and find a better way to do it and so forth. And so, you know, being essentially productive, if you want to take it in the broadest sense of that, it's a lifelong craft. 
you know, you, you know, you'll get better and better at it. You'll find better and better ways to be even more effective and efficient if you want to stay in the game, you know, of doing that. It's not something that you, not something you finally get and then never have to do anything else about it. I still have to do exactly what I teach. I still have to deal with the notes that I just took, you know, from, I still have to deal with I'm learning Dutch. So my Dutch teacher gave me this thing I had to print out. So now I got to figure out what to do with that. Here's an invoice that I, you know, that I need to make sure I pay in relative to, you know, whatever. So I don't get rid of that. Uh, so I still have to, you know, as we say, eat my own dog food. I think they had a Purina or somewhere years ago, you know, made that a famous statement because he was willing to eat the dog food that they made. And so it's one thing to teach it, nothing to, to do what you're doing. And I, I was doing all this stuff before I even started to teach it, you know, just for myself. And then turned around in my consulting practice, started to use what I'd uncovered for myself. And it turned out that uh, it was extremely useful and helpful to all everybody I was consulting. And then somebody in the big corporate world saw what I was doing and said, gee, David, we need those kind of results, more stability, more control, more focus or whatever in our whole company. Can you design some sort of training around what you've come up with? And that was essentially then threw me into the corporate training world. It was quite successful Did a pilot program back in 1983, 84 for a big corporation. And that's, and then I spent the next 20 years, you know, just being thrown around from one company to the next, just by referral. I never did any marketing, never did anything. Just picked up the phone. People say, wow, you did this, but my husband or my wife works in this other company. They really need this and they really want you to come in and do this. So I just wound up, you know, with this kind of boutique, you know, training and coaching business, just, you know, hiring a few people because of the demand for doing it. And then at some point, Somebody said, gee, David, you ought to write the book. And that was, you know, 20 years later. It took me that long to really figure out, Frederick, what I'd figured out, and that it was unique and nobody else seemed to have figured this out. And that it was bulletproof. You couldn't punch a hole in it. Anybody who, who captures stuff that has their attention clarifies exactly what it means, organizes that in some trusted external brain, and reviews and reflects on it is absolutely going to feel more confident, more in control, more focused, you know, and have more space to think about more meaningful stuff. Period. There's no so at that point I said, okay, I guess now I'm confident enough I can write the manual about what I've learned. That's what I wrote the first edition anyway of getting things done, published in 2001. But I started doing this stuff in 1980 in 1982. So yeah, I, I read the, the first edition and congratulations by the way uh, to your massive success, um, David. But you know, I early on when I started as an entrepreneur. Uh, some of my mentors, they told me that mastery takes 15, 20 years. And you're like a prime example because you said that, I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of fake experts out there, you know, fake expert that writes books and, you know, they get on and sell thousands of, of copies and so on. But you've lived it for 20 years before you wrote that book. I think that's a, that's a very good example of real mastery of the, the system and the, the art. So. But for yeah, those- I, I have to say, Frederick, I mean, what was true, too, and I didn't feel confident enough to really put it out until I was sure, you know, I, I implemented this. And, and a lot of my consulting turned into coaching for mid to senior people that, that, you know, caught my training or read the book and said, oh, my God, you know, I need you one on one sitting desktop with me to help me implement this. And so I spent literally thousands of hours one on one desk side with some of the busiest and brightest folks you'd ever meet. That's why I was, by that time, I was pretty sure that you couldn't punch a hole in this. And I was confident that it really worked, but it took, you're right. It took a long time for me to get to that place of confidence because I'm not a kind of ta-da kind of person. I'm not a, wow, here's, here's the new thing. And I think it really works. And so, you know, y'all go buy that book. And, you know, I, I just, as a matter of fact, my book can be a bit overwhelming to people because I just put in there everything I'd learned in my 20, 25 years you know, doing a lot of work, you know, with a lot of bright people with this stuff and testing it out. And it went viral inside of some of the companies that if you knew those companies, you'd say, those are some of the best and brightest and busiest people you'd ever meet. And because it went viral inside of that environment, instead of being spit out, you know, by their immune system, because it didn't, didn't match, didn't stand toe to toe with the best. And mine did. So that then finally, I finally had the confidence, you know, to your point, that I, I could I could put it out because it was pretty much my life work. <laughs> so, you know, kind of bears the soul essentially to write a book about all that and say, here it is, folks, and here's how to implement it. And if you want to 
Yeah, no, I applaud you for that. It requires a lot of bravery, you know. It requires a lot of bravery to to write a book and put your ideas out there because you're basically exposing yourself naked to the world and you're waiting for the feedback, you know. So, but I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure how successful it would be. I just needed to write it to get it out of my head. In the case I got run over by a bus, you know, then somebody at least at least it's out there somewhere in case anybody wants it. So it's kind of abusing to me and to see you know, how successful it became. You followed your own tips, basically. <laughs> I love that. But there's a lot of young people out there, uh, younger than me, that are millennials and Gen Z today, and they might not be, f- be familiar with the GTD system. What would you tell them? What's the one okay. or two things you would like them to get away from today? Well, first of all, don't keep things in your head. Write everything down. You know, so, so externalize whatever your thoughts are, whatever's worrying you, whatever's bothering you, whatever opportunities you had, whatever, think anything, little, big, personal, professional, get it out of your head. That's like job one is to externalize it. And then sooner than later, go through whatever you get out of your head and decide what's the next action you would need to take if you're going to act on this at all. And then make that decision about what would you need to do to finalize this, get closure on it, get clarity on it. And then build some sort of a reflection system. At least once a week, step back and take a look at your life, your work, your, the stuff, your, your commitments, and kind of see where you are from a higher perspective. Those are the key elements. It's like capture and then clarify and then review. You know, those are, those are sort of the three, I'd say, the key best practices. I mean, it, if you're really going to do this, you would need to capture everything that has your attention. Decide on every one of those actions and outcomes if there are any and then have a, an intact organization system where you can park reference where it goes trash where it goes reminders of actions you need to take where those go a list of projects you need to keep track of and any higher horizon stuff goals objectives purpose principles any of those kind of things get those things out and in front of you so you have a map essentially of your life and your work and then keep that active and alive you know as things change so that's the whole that's the whole game. But again, that's a lot. That's a lot for a lot of people if they haven't done that already. But this is not like a foreign language or some new technology. This is simple behaviors that everybody knows how to write stuff down. Everybody knows how to make a next action decision. Everybody knows how to make a list. Everybody knows how to look at a list and decide what to buy at the store off that list or what errands they need to run off that list. You know, so it, it, you know to a, to some degree and. Pardon me if this sounds a little rude, but I'll tell some of you, this is kind of, duh. No, but the simpler, the better, you know, sometimes the simpler, the more difficult it makes for people because people are what? It's that simple. So, but I, yeah. um, I listened to, um, to an interview you did, um, some time ago where, um, where you said, well, how many hours do you think an NBA player or a soccer player or whatever athlete is preparing for a match or a game each week versus yourself right for your week and for myself i use your system i love it it's very very effective for myself you know and makes me clear my mind i spend every sunday perhaps three hours to plan the week and i review like you're saying the review is very important as one of the one of the steps but um I don't know. Let's say that I'm a 20 year, 23 year old. I've never heard of David Allen. What's the system? How can I put it to use today? Why do I need to spend three hours? You would say. Well, you only need to spend as much time as you need to feel comfortable about what you're doing. Right. You said everybody's feeling so anxious and so stressed out. that they're like, Well, stop. <laughs> what do you need to do to not feel that? Take as much time as it takes, you know, unless you just love that feeling. Maybe that makes you feel worthwhile that you're so stressed out and you can say, I'm overwhelmed, I'm so busy and whatever, because I'm so important. And you're just going to need to get rid of that, that bug, you know, if you want to. And it's just up to you. I'm not out there preaching that everybody should do this. I say, look, if you just want a clear head, I can tell you how to do it. You have to decide whether you want that or not. So that's up to you. But again, you know, you know, one of the things we've written, like we, we, Two years ago, I co-authored the Getting Things Done for Teens, for Teenagers. Actually, anybody between 12 and 25 could probably read that book and get a lot of value out of it. We just took the same methodology and put it more into terms that a young person might relate to. Uh, 
And we just wrote the last year, we, we, we wrote the getting things done workbook. So take sort of the 10 simple steps to take to really implement this. So you didn't have to read the whole book or decide you want to implement the whole thing. Look, here's the basic stuff. If you really want to do that. And all you have to do is go to gettingthingsdone.com, our website, you know, slash uh, YouTube, and you'll see all kinds of my interviews and TEDx talks I did and whatever. And if you like to kind of surf around and just, you know, play on the computer and see that, you'll, you'll hear a lot of same versions of what you and I've just been talking about, but you'll hear them in many different contexts. So there are lots of ways you can play with this and start to, start to think about it and start to get engaged with it. But that's up to you. It's up to up to you whether you really want to do that or not. I see a lot of a lot of kids that they just on an adrenaline rush, you know, just it's like true. hey, you know, and I think fine. You know, I, I've been there. Uh and that's okay. At some point though, you know, I mean, a lot of kids if they stopped doing work, they'd get bored. If they stop you know, studying, they get bored. So, so go ahead, go do as much as you want. At some point, though, you're going to have kids. At some point, you're going to want to learn to play the flute as well as, you know, get an MBA. Or at some point, you're going to some point you're going to want to do other things in addition to whatever it is that's got you spinning out there. And that's when you're going to life's going to get a little more complex for you. If you think graduating in lag in life professionally is going to make things easier, think again. You know? <laughs> you know, so so but whenever you start, start to feel like you're hitting a wall that's when you probably want to you know pick up my book give it a read absolutely i i second that um david let's you know our audience loves small life hacks i just have one or two more questions for you but you said writing down things so would you say having one notebook just for work related lists and one for private related risk lists on and things to do or would you combine into just one notebook for I, I, I've never made a distinction between any of those things. To me, it was just like, what am I committed to? Personal, professional doesn't matter. I just look like, what's next? What do I do now? What do I do now? But you can you can do this however you want to do it. Just make sure it's out of your head and make sure you can look at it soon enough. And your list, you know, getting stuff out of your head is not the same as a list of stuff that you've organized. Those are different things. That's why capture is step one, but organize is step three. You only need to organize what you've decided you're going to do about what you've captured. If anything, here's an errand to run. Here's a thing to talk to my wife or my husband about, or my boss about, or here's, this, here's the stuff I need to remind myself about next week. Anybody who keeps a calendar is already saying their head can't do it. You know? And if you keep a calendar and trust that you'll look at your calendar at the right time, then that stuff that's on your calendar is not on your mind until or unless you need to review what's coming up. You know, so you don't, so you can locate yourself in space and time. So everybody already does some version of this already. Anybody who keeps a, you know, post-it pad somewhere, keeps track of stuff they need to buy at the store is already doing that, you know, in that way. So it doesn't matter where you do it or how many places you capture it. It just makes sure you don't lose the stuff. The problem with the digital cap, you can, you can record it on your iPhone or, or your smartphone or whatever, if you want. The problem is, is those people then don't empty that. You know, it goes in there somewhere, it went into a black hole. That's why most of my capture is low tech because it's like in, it's in front of me. It's it's in my face. You know, it's right here. And I need to make sure that I clean this tab up. But then I have to decide what did I write down? What am I going to do about that? So that just goes in my physical entry there. So capture is just no Wi-Fi, no batteries. None of that's required to be able to get stuff out of my head. But I keep, you know, I, I, we're now using Office 365, you know, and so I'm now have my lists are actually digital, but that's only because I go through my low tech stuff and, and clarify and organize it, you know, into my digital system. But I used a paper based planner for 20, 25 years. You know, they work well too. Yes. I mean, I use only paper notebooks and I take notes on, on paper as well. I love that, the low tech, you know, no fuss, like no complications. Uh, yeah. David, uh, I love how many books you have in the background. W what's your favorite book? Actually, one I'm reading right now. Actually, it's not here. It's in my living room. I'm reading. It's called uh, "Humankind" uh, by Rutger Bregman. It's a, a hopeful history. It's a, all about the the well-researched book about the uh, the the goodness that actually sits within people. 
and that a lot of it, a lot of it's kind of a uh, reading a riot act to sensational news that just focuses on the bad stuff and has people sort of addicted to that as opposed to the really good stuff. You know, and then most people are really good. And then when 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 push comes to shove, people will tend to help each other out. It's a great book. I like so human it. humankind. I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. I'll check must it read, out. A, a must read. Yeah, I'm an avid reader, so I'll definitely check it out. So. Yeah, um, David, where can people find uh, find more about you online, and where can they go to say hello to you on social media? And is there anything you would like them to check out, particular? Not really. Again, the YouTube channel. If you go to gettingthingsdone.com/slash/youtube, lots of stuff there that people can see and have fun with. Uh, gettingthingsdone.com is our website. If you're interested in training and coaching, that's you know we've certified trainers and coaches all around the world now. So if you wanted to, wherever you live and whatever you are interested in, if you want to click on that, you'll see you know certified trainers and coaches that are that are delivering this work in more intensive you know, ways in terms of live seminars and virtual seminars and coaching and so forth that, that, with this material. So those are, those are good places to start. Just do a Google search, David Allen, GTD, and you'll get a million <laughs> places you could go. It's all over the place. Awesome. Thank you for that, David. Uh, it's been a pleasure mm -hmm. to have you here on the show. I uh, really appreciate your valuable time. Uh, Like I said, uh, I read your book uh, many, many years ago. It has changed my life uh, and my point of view on, on, on working in the professional life and it made my life much better. So I'm very, very grateful. And I'm sure cool. the audience have learned a lot from you as well. So thank you Yay. very much. You're quite welcome. This was fun. Thank you for listening to Fika with Rice. I hope you enjoyed the show. Who do you want to have on our show? Let us know by sending me an email at frederick at absoluteinternship.com. And before you go, if you like this conversation, don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, or Spotify to get to listen to more inspirational stories and life hacks. We really appreciate it. See you next time and much gratitude for listening.